Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians 1, 9-14. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then you will live always to honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All for a while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all the glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. We have enabled us to share the inheritance, the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdoms of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning as we come together to worship you. Thank you for the many blessings you have given us daily. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son who purchased his, our freedom and forgives our sins. Thank you for blessing us with the Strebeck family and the many ways you have blessed us in our church and community the last seven and a half years. We don't always understand your plan, but we will support and pray for their transition to Delhart. We pray for our church leaders and others as they begin to search for a new pastor. Guide them and direct them according to your will. Lord, we ask you send us some rain, protect our schools and country from all the evil that is around us, and help us turn our eyes to you and our hearts daily in ways we can serve others for your glory. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I didn't know when we sketched this little sermon series uh, the heaviness that would accompany this day. Uh, however, I realized that one of my greatest joys uh, of these last seven and a half years, and maybe one of the greatest blessings of being a pastor, is the ability to observe you the other six days of the week. Uh, so learning what it's like to be an attorney, learning what it's like to be a school teacher, learning what it's like to be retired and have grandchildren and help raise your family uh, again, learning what it's like uh, to have an insurance business or learning what it's like uh, to have been in the restaurant business or to be a farmer or a rancher or uh, all the various things to, to work in banks to, you know, it's just the list goes on. And uh, it's truly been one of the, the greatest joys uh, because it helps us remember the dignity of the work that God has called us to, uh, whoever we are, uh, that our work is ordered towards the seventh day, towards Sunday, uh, towards the new creation, uh, but the work itself is meaningful and powerful. Work is the context of our lives before God. While we are called to pray without ceasing, 
these prayers are properly mixed in like yeast into dough with our daily rhythms of work. It is through our work that we discover our gifts, our talents. Uh, there's evidence of this in those of you in the room who have retired and now you're not retired anymore. Even if you're not officially unretired, I see you out there. You know, it used to be an English teaching and work with theater, a one-act play, and now you're still working with one-act play. Uh, going back through, uh, some of you, I know uh, one of you who's a carpenter and a consultant and a director, and now you find ways to do that same work in retirement. Uh, I remember one of our members who had worked in logistics in his working life, and when uh, the, the hurricane came through and hit Houston and we were preparing for hurricane relief and we got together over 75, I don't remember what the total number was, of these flood buckets that we put together from Sweetwater and then we took in trailers down to Houston. And, and he was the right person for that job because he had his little, his little sheet out and he went all over town and got all the supplies that we needed for every single bucket. And then we all came together and packed them. So it's just, you know, again, the things that we learn about our gifts uh, we learn about our talents in the work that we do and how God is going to uh, use those. It's through our work that we learn the joy of a job well done. Not all of our work is fun or joyful, of course, but even sweeping a floor and learning that there's a right way and a less right way, if, if you grew up in my family, uh, to sweep a floor. <laughs> and, uh, but there's something about the, when, the, when the job is finished uh, that you look back and you see the job well done. The joy of a job well done of teaching a grandchild to read or wiring lights so that people can see in an area that was previously unlit. The good news is we were created for work. You and I were created to work. In Genesis 2, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there... He put together the human beings that he had formed and he put them to work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. At that time, there were no obstacles to farming. There were no boll weevils. There were no thorns. There were no droughts like we experience here. There was no pain in childbirth. And so it reminds us of the nature of work, that all work is not drudgery, that at least inherently work does not come with drudgery. It's not pure drudgery. Uh, you can tell this when you see somebody working in a place, you can just tell they were meant to work there. Uh, it's an image, I think a foretaste of our work in the New Jerusalem, in heaven. Uh, I remember uh, in Abilene when we were serving a church there, and one of our parishioners was a professor at McMurray. And he was an English professor. And I actually audited one of his classes just to kind of get to know him a little better and to be reminded why I was not an English major. Um, and so he, but watching him at the whiteboard was, it was just like that guy was meant to do this job. That he, he was, he, everything that he did uh, just said, hey, you were meant to do that. Uh, I have another friend who works in, he's a pastor, but his job in the church that he serves is to build teams. He, 
He works with teams that are about to go overseas for mission work or teams that have been working overseas and they're coming back for furlough or he goes to other churches and helps with conflict and he does all kinds of stuff like that. And when you watch him work with a group of people, uh, he actually worked with our staff here in Sweetwater a couple of years ago. And when you watch him at work, you can just tell, okay, he was just meant to do that job. That's the good news. We were created for work. And the bad news is less easy for us to forget. On this earth, we will never escape the negative elements of work. There will, it seems, always be an element of drudgery, even to the good work that we do because of the fall. The Genesis 3 story. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, the earth will bring forth for you and you will eat the plants of the field. So you will still work and you will still reap the harvest and the benefits of work, but it will not be without obstacles. It will not be without wind and hail and drought, so on and so forth. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread. And all of a sudden now there will be pain uh, in childbearing. You will eat your bread by the sweat of your face until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and from dust you shall return. Thorns and thistles are not hard for us to understand. But when we think about work and the meaning of work, and what the scriptures say about work, and what Christians believe about work, we realize that there's another set of good news that's on this side of the advent of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Son of God. And that good news is that God has begun a work of redemption in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect person to set this all in motion for us and to help us remember what it looks like to be agents of redemption in the world because Jesus himself was a full human being, just like you and I, fully God, but fully human. Jesus knew what it was like to put in a day's work. I love this quote. This, it's really from a prayer book by William Barclay. And he says, we thank you, God, that Jesus did a day's work like any working man or woman, that he knew the problem of living together in a family, that he knew the frustration and irritation of serving the public, that he had to earn a living, that he had to face all the wearing routine of everyday work and life and living. And so Jesus clothed each common task with glory. Isn't that great? Every common task now can be clothed with glory in a, in a way. Still comes with its thorns and thistles, but something as simple as washing the dishes or doing our laundry or taking care of our yard can be a common task that is clothed with glory. It's not just human beings that have a foretaste of this redemption that we participate in, but it's all the earth, right? The earth is groaning, Romans 8, uh, until the anticipation of the return of Jesus. The whole earth is groaning. I love the old description of the mission of the church that's been in our Methodist Book of Disciplines, uh, gosh, for over 50 years. And in it, it talks about how the church, one of the reasons that the church exists is for specifically for the redemption of the world. 
that we participate in the redemption of the world, not just by being evangelists, not just by bringing folks into the church, not just by preaching the gospel, not just by seeing folks be baptized and raised up in the church and trained and confirmed and all the good stuff, but just in general participation in making the world a place that looks more and more like the new Jerusalem, right? Our prayer, as Sandra led us in a moment ago, on earth as it is in heaven. Colossians 1.9, and so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think sometimes we read that and we limit it to what we might describe as spiritual work. You know, well, that's my work that I do when I'm in the church building. That's my work that I do uh, when I'm reading and praying in the morning. Or that's my work that I do when I'm serving as a volunteer at church camp. Or that's my work that I do uh, when I teach Sunday school. But really, bearing fruit in every good work carries a much broader sense that we, in all the work of our hands, we are bearing fruit. We are working and participating in what God is doing in the world. This is also a great reminder to not forget who we work for, that in everything that we do, uh, we're not working for a boss. We're not working for uh, a clock. We're not working uh, for some greater entity. Of course, we're working for those people and those things, but we are working to please the Lord. That's all work, whether we're sweeping that floor or we're building that spreadsheet or we're running that meeting or we're hiring a new person. We are working to please the Lord. I love how Miroslav Volf, uh, the great Croatian theologian, talks about how our view of the end of the world shapes our view of work more than anything. And at first that sounds kind of strange, but the more you think about it, you're going, that really does make a lot of sense. And you all know people that view the end of the world in crazy ways, right? Or you know the conspiracy theory people, or you know the crazy Christians that are, you know, they're always looking for the end of the world or whatever, and it's going to be tied to some zombie apocalypse or whatever. But how we see the end of the world really does determine how we work in the world. Uh, he identifies a concept called inhalatio mundi, which would be the annihilation of the world. And then he identifies what would be the more Christian worldview of the end of the world, which would be transformatio mundi, the transformation of the world. We view God's work in the world. And when we say in the creed uh, that we believe that one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, uh, that Christ will return and he will, he will begin to build the city, right? The new Jerusalem and the book of Revelation will descend uh, and it will be here on earth. And so this idea of a transformed world, if we believe that, if we believe the image of, in Revelation of the new Jerusalem, then we will work in such a way as to be part of that new Jerusalem that's being built. We don't see the world as just something that's here, to get, here today, and then it'll all just go up in flames and heaven's something where we're floating around on clouds like little care bears. Uh, but no, we're, there's, there's actual you know, teeth to this whole thing. There's, it's a city, it's a vision of some kind of work that we will do in the new Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what it will be, but we know that it won't be painful. We know that it will be all the joy elements of work without the painful stuff. I like how Eugene Peterson translate this in the message. Um, 
Colossians 1.10, we pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more about how God works, you will learn how to do your work. I think this is very true. The more we know about the nature of God and how God works, it changes how we do our work. This is what makes it possible for a book like Robert Greenleaf's book called Servant Leadership, a guy who ran AT&T for I forget how many years and really brought back uh, so much culture uh, and kind of, you know, saved the company. Uh, I don't remember the exact story of what his, his role was, but he wrote this book called Servant Leadership. And it, and it just sent shockwaves through the business leadership industries. And it was very simple concept. Uh, Robert Greenleaf was a Quaker and he was a Christian. And he said, you know, if we did our business, we conducted ourselves in the way that Jesus does, I think it would have a pretty good impact on our culture uh, through our businesses and our community. And so this idea of servant leadership, he coined that phrase. And it's really as basic as the last will be first and the first will be last. And Jesus says, uh, the Gentiles, you know, lord it over. They, they take their positions and they say, hey, look at me, I'm more important than you. And Jesus says, it's not going to be that way with you. You know, the work that you do, you're going to serve. And by serving, by putting yourself with your power and your strength in the back of the line, you're actually going to be leading the trail. The more we learn about how God works, we learn about how to do our work. In conclusion, I think that the hope of the gospel, anytime we talk about work, as wonderful and as meaningful as our work can and should be in the lens of uh, seeing it through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of the gospel, it's good to remember this morning that God's love for us does not diminish or increase based upon our work. Uh, we have times in our lives where we're really proud of our work and we're just hitting on all cylinders and our work is really a great reflection of what we think the kingdom of heaven would be like. And then there are other times where we just wonder why in the world we ever got into this sort of kind of work anyways. Uh, and we're less proud of our work, but in either case, uh, God is not more or less uh, loving. He's not more or less present in our lives. His love does not waver uh, in and out of all the things that we experience, which is always the good news of the gospel. John Wesley uh, always loved, as we wrestle with this, right, and you see the New Testament writers wrestling with this stuff as well. Uh, you see James talking about faith without works is dead, and then you see Paul talking about, hey, but we're not, you know, we're not saved by anything like our works. And Wesley kind of toys with this a little bit in his, one of his sermons. And he says, God does not save us because of our works. But then he's replying to all the gospel preachers who were out throughout the fields and causing havoc and just saying, oh, what you do doesn't matter. Just believe in Jesus, come get saved and punch your ticket. And it's all good from there. Uh, Wesley said, but it's also true that God does not save us without our works. In other words, our works are not insignificant. Our works are very meaningful. Uh, the things that we put our hands and feet to are caught up in the great story of God's redemption of the world. So while it is true that God does not save us because of our works, he certainly does not save us without our works, which I think is a really important distinction. It's another way of remembering that our works, our work plays some part in the redemption of the world.
One of the great ways to begin any day or to begin a talk or sometime when we're going to address people in the church or in the community would be the great prayer from Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And I was thinking about the idea of starting a work day, any work day, just your common Wednesday, your common Friday. Uh, what would it be like if we prayed that prayer, but then we added the prayer from Psalm 90 in our daily prayer as we approach work? Uh, establish, O Lord, the work of our hands. Establish thou the work of our hands. I think that carries with it what we're really asking for is, Lord, take the work that we do and make it meaningful. Make it something that carries on beyond even when we can't see it and it looks like we're just sweeping a floor, but take that work and make it part of your redemption. Establish the work of your hands and may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart and the work of my hands be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.